You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning. Can I encourage those that's getting another drink? Do you want to come make your way back in? Those greeting Dominic, what a cutie, I'm sure. Great for, um, do I need to close this a little bit? Is anyone being blinded? Okay. There we are. There we are. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure of getting to know me yet, <laughs> the jokes are coming. What are, what are you doing? <laughs> laughing already. I'm Edward, just part of Redeemer here, and uh, Christmas is three days away. Anyone excited? Yes. yes. So am I. I'm looking forward to getting back to Woking, the glorious town, um, a commuter belt. Paul, do you love Woking? He used to love Woking, okay. Um, Paul's also from Woking. So Christmas, um, this is the time of year when I suppose many things come to the top of our minds. Uh, We celebrate a baby boy. We celebrate um, Jesus. Uh, We often find ourselves reflecting on the year that has been. Anyone doing that? Anyone see the Google Zeitgeist film this week? There's kind of 15 million hits or something. Just a review of the year. The fact that they put Paul Walker as the same kind of memory status as Nelson Mandela is a bit of a problem for me because Fast and the Furious is a little bit different to solving the apartheid. Um, but there are some memories from this year. But we also think ourselves of, uh, of families and friends and we play games at Christmas so often as well. And so I thought we'd begin with a game that does all of those things. Anyone up for that? Yes. So um, this year there's been a few babies born, some famous, not some not so famous. So I thought we'd play a little bit of a, a, little bit of a game to begin with. So um, what I need to do, and there is a chocolate prize, just saying, contains nuts, just in case, Um, there's a chocolate prize, so the first person to get them, get the answer of which baby this is, or who their parents are, gets a chocolate, you with me? So the first one, who who is this? North West, there we have it, Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, so they name their child North West, there's a chocolate um, so that is Northwest. Anyone know who this is? Dominic. Hey, it's Dominic. Yeah. <laughs> and in real life form at the back there. Um, Pete, Pete gets a chocolate. Marsha didn't get that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how. <laughs> oh, looking at the real thing. Looking at the real thing. Okay. So we've got another one. Anyone know who this is? Anyone see the resemblance there? It's not me. <laughs> Look at that pout. No, it's not me. This is um, Clay Anthony Rooney, the son of Wayne and Colleen. Come on, do you not recognise him? I get a chocolate. That's good. The, is it in the ears? Okay. Okay, who's, who's this next one? Who's this next one? Oh, there we Lois is getting all the chocolates here. And she's wearing a onesie. Um, so that was, uh, that's Benjamin William Isaacson. They're not here. He could have been here in real life as well. Um, what about this next one? Born this year. I'll give you a little hint. If you think of a Christmas crooner who is alive, who is it? Buble. This is Noah Buble. There we go. Um, and the mother is Louisiana Lopelato. There we are. A lot of hair, right? A lot of hair. And the last one, who is this? George. Prince George. Pete gets another one. A strawberry cream. 
Um, the worst. Anyone else want a chocolate? I've just got one more here. Um, no one here? Okay, we go far. Oh, dear. Ooh. Okay, that's the end of the chucking. That's the end of the throwing. This is, of course, the third um, in line to the throne, Prince George, born on the 22nd of June, as we're all aware, eight days in the Lindo Ward, um, eight days after or before, eight days after Levi. So Levi will always be older and more important, Prince George. Um, and uh, Prince George, of course, is in the royal line. Prince George is third in line to the throne, not because he's achieved anything great, not because he has done anything incredible, but because he is born son of a, well, the great-grandson of a queen, the grandson of the first in line, the uh, um, son of the third, second in line to the throne. He uh, one day most likely wear a crown, similar to the ones that we wear in Burger King, if you were a little kid. I remember getting them on my birthday. But this morning, we're remembering another king. Do you like the link there? This morning we're remembering Jesus and we're remembering he that was born 2,000 years ago and, um, and the fact that in fact he was of royal line as well. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look back at some of the Old Testament because the Old Testament throughout those um, books of 39 books in the Old Testament is looking ahead towards the Messiah that's going to come. The Old Testament is full of prophets um, giving um, various prophecies about the Messiah that is to come um, at one point. And I want to give you a little bit of background there. So throughout the Old Testament, there's 300 different prophecies concerning how um, the Messiah will be born, how he's going to live, ultimately how he's going to die, and the impact that that's going to have. There's um, prophecies um, about his father and the prophecies about his lineage prophecies about where he's, the geography of where he's going to live. There's prophecies um, about the people he's going to meet and what he's going to be called. So I just want to go back quite quickly to the beginning, to the very beginning of creation. God the Father, you weren't expecting going back to the creation story this morning, God the Father in all his power had just flung stars into space, he'd um, carved out valleys and he'd sprinkled mountains with snow as we might do on mince pies this time of year with sugar. And uh, he had just created light and dark, night, uh, day and night. He had imagined atoms as the building blocks of all creation. And he had done all this. He had created animals that swam and animals that walked and animals that ran and animals that kind of slinked across the floor. Um, but we're told in Genesis that there's also the triune God right there back in, back in Genesis. In fact, there's this relationship between God the Father, the Creator, the spirit that hovered over the water that we're told in Genesis. And then in John, it says the word became flesh. So in fact, Jesus was there existing before creation. And in fact, before they'd created anything, in fact, they were really happy. They were in perfect relationship. They were in enjoying each other's company. But then God wanted to enjoy and God wanted to share that and God wanted to include his creation in, in that relationship as well. So he created man. So God created man and he created us to join in this relationship. And he wants us to draw near to him, discovering the riches and depths of his love for us. But, as some of us know, in that creation story, Adam and Eve, they decide to go away from God. Do you want me to close this a little bit more? Because I can see it's blinding some people. There we are. Is that okay? Good. It was just all the light was on Trin. Uh, <laughs> just sitting there like an angel. Uh, and... Um, and in fact, God created man, but man decided to go do their own thing. Man decided to reject what God had made for them and decided to go their own way. 
and man had decided, and that had put something called sin as a barrier between uh, man and God. And throughout this Old Testament, um, we see how God desperately still wanted to be with his people. God wanted to um, be in relationship with his people. So they did various things to achieve that. So they gave animal sacrifices of bulls, or they waved wheat, or they did various things that they could be in relationship with God still. But all this wasn't quite enough. And at the same time, they were all speaking of the Messiah that was to come, of one that was to come who was going to make all things right between man and God. They were going to make a, he was going to make a relationship possible where God could dwell with man. And so, um, but then there's uh, 400 years of silence. And we're going to get to a few of these prophecies in a moment and just look at those. And so there's 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament, uh, between the, like, the books of the minor prophets of Malachi. And in this time, another empire is built. The Roman Empire kind of takes root as it begins to spread and have influence as it grows from the seven hills east of the Tiber into the Mediterranean, into North Africa, into the Middle East. And it puts much of the Jewish nation in this place of um, captivity, and they're the rulers of there. And as Mark was saying earlier, he said it in, one of it, in a prayer, in fact, the Jewish people, they were expecting the form of this Messiah to be like a warrior king. So in fact, the Jewish nation, they were expecting this warrior to come and liberate them from their captors and set them free and, and redeem them from, um, from their hands so they could have the promised land again. And so they were expecting this kind of mighty man, similar to maybe my size and physique, um, just with a sword. Again, the jokes are coming. That's not... And then with a sword and with a kind of a shield and just to conquer and defeat the Romans and liberate them from them. That's what they were expecting. Then one night, an angel appears. And this is how we pick up the Christmas story as we're probably familiar with it. And an angel appears to Mary. And uh, the angel says, you're going to give birth. And we're going to pick up that Christmas story in a moment. So as with Prince George here, um, Christ was of royal line. And throughout the Old Testament, um, it's prophesied that the Messiah would be born of the line of Abraham, be a descendant of Isaac and Jacob, of the tribe of Judah. And I'm going to look at specifically one verse. Can we just get in the next slide? In Jeremiah, there's many references. I've just chosen this one. In Jeremiah, it says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up from, from, oh, I've typed that wrong, from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So Jeremiah, one of the prophets, um, looks ahead to that time when one is going to come um, and reign as king, and he's going to be from David's line. And so if we then look at the passage from Matthew, um, in Matthew 1, we, we maybe a familiar genealogy 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 we won't put it to public vote and it says this the book of um the book of the genealogy jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham and then it says and obed and it carries on with names and obed the father of jesse and jesse the father of david the king and at the end it says and jacob and Mathan the father of jacob and jacob the father of joseph the husband of mary of whom jesus was born who is called christ so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from, generation, uh, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So in fact, we see in this account in the Bible, Jesus fulfilled that prophecy and all the other prophecies that are pointing ahead to someone to be of this royal line. Pointing ahead to someone who's going to be um, of, these, of his royal line from David and from Abraham, from Jacob and from Isaac. But 
much more than that, um, what, I, what I love is in fact, the heritage that's in their stories as well. Um, at Christmas, I'm not going to presume everyone's going to see their family at Christmas, because that would be a lie. I'm sure lots of people won't, but um, I will. And, um, and I'll probably hear some stories as you do. You pick up some stuff about your family members. You might meet your kind of crazy uncle. I've got a few of those. And you just kind of pick up stuff from them. And I remember speaking to my dad or granddad um, a few years ago about his great-granddad. And he was like this guy who owned all the gin houses in London. And suddenly I was finding something out about my, about my family. He was this really wealthy guy who made lots of gin and sold it. And so, of course, was really popular. I never knew that about my granddad or great-great-granddad, but then I did. Um, and that might explain a little bit about my family with that kind of background in mind. Um, but in fact, we've all got this history. Some of us might know a lot about our families. Some of us might know nothing. And if we look at that genealogy, I'm saying it all wrong. Um, in fact, we see a number of different characters in there. There's 42 people from Abraham to Christ. And in fact, as much as m- many of them were mighty people used by God, some of them, were, in fact, had a bit, you know, they had skeletons in the closet. Um, Judah sold his own brother into slavery and slept with his daughter-in-law, thinking that she was a prostitute. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Gentile from a despised country. David committed adultery and then had the husband of the woman killed. Rehoboam split the nation of Israel into two with his harsh ways, and Manasseh even sacrificed his own son to an idol. So in fact, in that generation leading from Abraham to Christ, there are some skeletons in the closet, but God's plans persevere. In fact, God's plans don't go off course because of some family members that have done something a bit wicked. God's plans don't go off course because of wars and battles and and empires falling and empires rising. God's plans will persevere. God's plans will come through. Christ had a colourful family history. And I think sometimes people can count themselves out because of their family history or because of their background. In fact, some people think, where I'm from, that just means I'm just not going to achieve that. Or just with the background I've had, I'm not going to get there. Or because of what my family have done, I'm just not going to quite manage to really know the love of God. Some people really struggle with knowing God as the Father because their Father's been really lousy. And that's a reality for some people. And that can stop them knowing God. But in fact, Jesus, he had some kind of characters in his, in his family as well. He had some characters that disobeyed God, but in fact, God's plans still persevered through it all. And I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up uh, in a really good Christian family. Uh, I grew up in a good church um, in Woking. And, um, but in fact, when I was about 16, my mum and dad just decided to kind of stop going to church. My mum and dad just got a bit bored, if I'm honest. Some of their family relationships broke down, and I think that kind of forced them out of church quite a bit. And, uh, and then suddenly they were kind of just not bothered at all. And it, really, it was really quite hard as a teenager to see your parents kind of just completely reject God and do their own thing. And I remember having some conversations with my mum, and I was just like, whew, quite hard to deal with as a teenager, because you know, a lot of your principles are built upon your parents. And, uh, and I'm the youngest of four boys, and, um, or four men, I should say. And, um, and so, in fact, my brothers mean a lot to me. Um, my brothers really do, and I look up to them. I can see how they influence my music style, or they can influence various things about me. Um, but my brothers completely stopped going to church as well. And so when I got to about 20, I found that my parents had just got fed up and they got bored. Two of my brothers had got fed up and they got bored. They wanted to do their own thing. And so it was me and one of my brothers who were like, oh, wow, this is all that's left (laughs) of this kind of family that was really plugged into the church as I was growing up. And in fact, for some years, I really struggled. 
I really struggled because I lived with this feeling of it's going to be me next for about three, four years. I lived with this feeling of when's it my turn just to give up? When's it my turn just to throw in the towel? Because all my family have, so it's going to happen to me at some point. And I found that really hard because it would just be this kind of nagging thing at the back of my head. But in fact, I prayed about that with people. I talked with people about that. And, and actually, I'm very much through that. And I'm very much kind of out the other end of that journey. But in fact, it can be so easy to let your family kind of try to box you. It can be so easy to let your family just kind of put these expectations on you that you just can't come through on. Or they just want you to do something completely different. Now, I, I'm so thankful I grew up in a Christian family. I'm really thankful. But in fact, it's going to be even harder for someone who hasn't, perhaps, and their family rejects them. Some of you might be sitting here and your family might reject you for coming to church. Is possibly a, re- a reality for some of you. The fact that you're coming here, that's a really big thing for your family. But in fact, Jesus, he had some characters in his family. He had some people who had rejected God in his family. But in fact, God still used him, of course, mightily in his plan. And there's something else in, in this uh, passage from Jeremiah. And that's that it says, um, and he will um, reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So it's not only that he's to be king, that it's in fact the type of king that he's going to be. He's not going to be corrupt. He's not going to be selfish. He's going to deal wisely with those in his land. And some of you might be familiar with the passage. In, so in the passage of Luke, I'm not focusing too much on the birth. I hope you forgive me. I'm just focusing on Jesus. Um, so in the passage in Luke, what happens? Jesus is 12. And I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, so in Luke, in Luke 2, picking up from verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. Three days of searching is quite a lot. Um, Has anyone ever left kids anywhere here? Not for 24 hours, okay. Um, And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Um, behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking in my father? Why did, why, why did you not look for me in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. A passage we're perhaps familiar with. And what I love about that is that Jesus is 12. And in fact, he's pursuing to know God. He's not putting any excuses in there to say that, in fact, because I'm just young, I'm not, I'll do that when I'm older. Because I'm young, I'll, I'll get to know Jesus when I'm older. But in fact, Jesus is there in his father's house. He is um, asking questions. He's reading of the words. He's there being, you know, checking with other people, with people older than him, allowing them to speak into his life. Because he wants to know more and more about God's love and the depths of his love for him. And in fact, Jesus just wanted to pursue that more and more. He didn't let age be a factor. And I think this can be the reality for some of us, that in fact we can let these various things be a factor in in how we view God or how we come to know God. We can say, well, in fact, my job needs to protect priority for this next season. 
my family needs to take priority for this season. Um, I haven't got the time. I'm not, oh, I'll just do it when I'm older. I'll do it next year. This is the kind of time when I'm starting to say things, I'll do it next year, but it is only next week, so we're allowed. We sometimes have these grand plans in January. We can say, this year, I'm going to do this. Anyone achieve any of their um, objectives or anyone achieve any of their resolutions this year? Oh, okay, we've got a few. Who sets resolutions? Okay, we got a... Okay, sorry. I didn't mean that as a... So, yeah, so if everyone put their hands on their need to achieve them, that would be quite entertaining. Um, but sometimes we, you know, the new year is a chance for us to reflect. Whereas we come to the end of one year, we get a chance to reflect on the year that's been and we get to look ahead to the year that is coming. And I'd say that, in fact, January is a good time to start a new habit. Um, what is it, 30 days? Is that what they say? It takes 30 days to, um, you know, to, to create a habit. So it might take 30 days of getting up a bit earlier or 30 days of, of being a little more comfortable, 30 days of stretching yourself when it begins to start feeling a bit more natural so that you can dwell with God more, so that you can get to know him more and more. And in fact, I had other things to speak on, but this, when I woke up this morning, this idea of family was really just strong in my heart, so I'm just going to focus on that. Because first of all, there's kind of some skeletons in the closet for Jesus in his lineage, but then also his family just were trying to put expectations on him on how he interacts with God. And they were saying, why are you here? Why are you not spending time with us? And so sometimes we might have to say no to our family as well. Sometimes we might need to say, actually, I'm God first. And that might mean that there's quite a tricky conversation. But in fact, I really think that people then look at you and see differently. I know for my family, um, in fact, what I say is going to have very little impact. Because in fact, my parents grew up in the church. What I say is going to have little impact. You might have this with friends. You might have, you, you know, this is the incredible gospel story, right? Jesus coming in the form of a man, and we're going to get to that gospel story in a moment. This is the incredible good news. And some of your friends, you might have talked to all through. Or some of your family, you might have talked to all through. They know all the arguments. They know all the points you're going to make. And there's a point where you just have to trust God. And uh, I think that's where I've come. Just to saying, Lord, I want to talk, but Lord, I want to trust you as well. So... Jesus fulfills this prophecy. Jesus fulfills this prophecy and over 300 more about his family. Um, but he also fulfills so much more as well. And I just want to look at these quickly. Um, in Micah, it's in 5.2, it says that the ruler of Israel will come from Bethlehem. In Hosea, it says, out of Egypt I called my son. In Isaiah 11, he says he will be called a Nazarene. In Isaiah 9, it says he will bring light to Galilee. So in fact, there's these really specific prophecies about the Messiah that was to come. Not only who his family was, but where he was going to come from. And so in fact, when Caesar Augustus put out a, um, the first census in that kind of modern world, and he called everyone back to their, their, their hometowns, that was the reason for Joseph and Mary to return home to Bethlehem. And if you look at the Christmas story again, there was no donkey. It hurt me. When I read it again, I was like, where is the donkey? Three wise men. It's just wise men. They had three gifts. There could have been 20 of them carrying this massive bar of gold. Anyway, there's some myths debunked. Um, and, and so they return to Bethlehem. Then, then because Herod starts to um, kill the, all the under two-year-old boys because he's threatened by the wise men's prophecy of this, com- uh, of this king that was coming, um, they flee to Egypt. So that's the second one, ticked. That in fact, this family, almost as refugees, are fleeing to Egypt. They're fleeing to safety. 
So that's two out of the four. But then when Herod dies, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph again, and he says, you can return home. It's safe. It's safe. But it's not quite safe. So settle in a new town. So then they settle in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Therefore, fulfilling all the prophecies in the Old Testament about where Jesus will come from. Of course, another huge prophecy is the fact that he will be from a virgin birth. In Isaiah, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And in Luke 1.26, In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man called Joseph. So again, another one of these prophecies fulfilled in Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the authentic Messiah who came to make us right with God. So then my, um, another, another point, I, um, I'm not going to actually talk about Tear Fund, I'm just going to reference it, will you agree with that? But Tear Fund's incredible. Um, at my work, we're quite fascinated by um, kind of, what do they call them, um, like personality type tests, okay? So if I was to tell you I'm a superhero good parent, would any of you know what I mean? No? It's this new one, it's called bioenergetics. What it, what it says is that your body shape dictates what your personality is like, or your personality dictates what your body is like. And so I'm a superhero because I've got some incredibly broad shoulders. But the result of a superhero means that I love to step in and save the day, but everyone needs to know that I've saved the day. So I'll be like, I will save the day. Aren't I amazing, everyone? So that's the result of a superhero. And a good parent means I've got good wide hips. Um, I don't really know much more apart from I've got good wide hips. So I'm not... It is, yeah. Um, they're not birthing hips. Um... The Christmas message doesn't need to go that far in a parallel. Um, and another one of these is called Belbin. Anyone here done Belbin? A few, a few more. And uh, this spits out a few personality types. It could be a plant, a resource investigator. And whenever I do these kind of tests, it comes out as I'm a good team player. I'm a good talker, surprisingly. Um, I can think creatively. Um, but I'm not the, the best completer finisher. Why is Pete laughing? Why is Pete laughing? I'm completely finishing the preach. Uh, I'm not the best completer finisher because I, I, get re- I really like the genesis moment of a product or of, a, of an idea or of a, of a project. I love that moment where you can flesh out some ideas, begin to get others on the track, and then I'm like, ooh, something else shiny. Um, and I can kind of quite quickly be detracted to the next. Why are people nodding so much? Oh, you are as well. Okay. Okay. Anyone, does that sound like anyone else? Yeah. But we need some completed finishers, don't we, Pete? <laughs> we need some completed finishers, people who will see the job through. And what I'm so thankful for is that God is a completed finisher. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs> Come on, you are listening. Are you still awake there? Okay, good, good. I, was a little, I, said, I said to Tricia, she falls asleep on getting up for an illustration. Um, so uh, she's staying awake. And, um, and so... <laughs> God is a complete finisher. In fact, God doesn't get distracted by the next shiny thing and kind of go, oh, I'll leave this earth to it and go create the next one. In fact, God sees things through to the very end. Isn't that good news? Because in fact, um, the good news is that Christ came and he is the finisher and perfecter of So the Christmas story is not about a baby born and that's it. The Christmas story is about a baby born, a life well lived, and a man on a cross dying for our sin. And I'm just going to press into that for these last five minutes. Again, looking back to Isaiah, it says in uh, Isaiah 53, 10 to 11, 
Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will um, see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. There's some quite complex language, some complex pictures in there. And what it's saying is that Christ or, or someone, this is a prophecy again that's being spoken in the Old Testament 600 years before Christ came. It's saying someone, Christ, is going to come and he's going to sin. So when we go back to the creation story and remember that sin that separates us from God, those things that we do against one another or sin against God or sin against ourselves, in fact, there's someone coming who means that, in fact, you can be right with God once more. There's someone coming who's going to be so perfect, he's going to take all your sin, all your failings, on himself and make you right with God. He will bear, um, by his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many. We are that many. The church, 2,000 years ago to now and onwards, we are that many, and he will bear their iniquities. And in Romans, it says these words, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news. This is incredible news that in fact, through Christ's birth, life, death, but ultimately his resurrection, we have eternal life with him. In fact, that is the Christmas story. It's the Christmas, it's the Easter story. You can't separate the gospel. You can't separate it into December and then March or early April, depending on the moon. This is the story of Christ's love for us, that he pursues us. And in fact, this is the good news that's to be shared. The good news that we should be sharing with one another. On your seats, wave them in the air. I like a bit of participation. If you sat on it by mistake, you've got an alpha invite. In fact, if you want to share the good news, there's ways that God are able... You can do that face-to-face, you can do that over a coffee, but you can also do that at Alpha. Alpha is the incredible opportunity to explore the Christian faith. Alpha is a 10-week opportunity to build relationships, um, discuss the Bible, discuss Jesus, discuss sin, discuss the church or prayer or evil, discuss these things, see what people think, build relationships, build friendships. Go and wave it. Oh, we'll, do, we'll do this. We'll do this. You could give that to this Christmas. You could, you, you're seeing family. You're seeing friends. It might be in the early New Year. And you can invite them along to that. They're going to be in my capable hands. Is that a good thing? Oh, okay. Peggy's not too sure. Um, and, uh, and with us as well, and over 10 weeks, we're just going to explore the Christian faith. What means is that they can ask questions, and they can come with their objections, and they can come with their things that they haven't thought about ever in their life before, and we can think those through together. So invite people to Alpha, because this is the good news that's to be shared. So I'm just going to conclude. At Christmas time, um, we can so often remember just the baby meek and mild. Uh, we remember that he was uh, born of a virgin birth while shepherds watched their flock by night. We remember gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh with an indefinite number of wise men. Um, we remember mangers, swaddling cloths, and donkeys, but that's incorrect. Um, Christ was born into a line of kings, uh, marked by some massive failures, but he invites us to be part of that family. He invites us to be part of his family. He invites us to come in and be a child of God. So in fact, regardless of our background, 
regardless of our family, regardless of our habits, good and bad, regardless of our time or our education, regardless of our background, we can come and be part of God's family because Christ came. Christ pursued holiness and intimacy with his Father. He set a time, time um, alone as well as working it out together in community. And in fact, January is a good time to do that, to begin a good new habit. I'm going to try to do that. We can do that today, or we can do it tomorrow, or we can do it in the new year, to build a rhythm of a life with God. But also, there's this element of wisdom. Just where in our life do we need to just ask for wisdom? There might be something where you just need to say, God, I just need you to step in here. God, I just, I'm at the end of myself, and God, I just want to spend time with you. And there's nothing that should hold us back from that. Christ came once for all. He came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, and in his birth and life, um, he made us right with God. And um, in a moment, we're just going to have um, communion. And communion is a moment to remember that moment of death, but ultimately that moment of life as well. And I'm just going to hand over to Mark to lead us in that.